You're at the right place at the right time. You found the number one podcast that entertains the space between your ears. It's super califragilistic, I hope you enjoy the show. If you're like me, you're going to laugh a lot. We invite you to pull up a chair. Be Relax and get ready to take a trip to the vacation kingdom of the world. So, grab your magic bands and your Mickey ears. Here we go. Because it's time for another episode of the Mousecapades Podcast. It means no worries for the rest of your days. It's our problem. Happy Friday, Mousecapades listeners. This is Vicki, and I'm here with Kaylee, and you're listening to the number one podcast that entertains that space between your ears, the Mousecapades podcast. This is episode 308, and Kaylee and I are going to talk about the history around the four park icons at the Disney World parks. Before we get started, we'd like to encourage you to check out our friends at WaltExpress.com for Disney deals, tips, tricks, and all things Disney. We'd also like to give a shout out to Nick, who's serving our country and having some well-deserved vacay with his family. We miss you, Nick, and look forward to your pop-ups when your family arrives at the happiest place on Earth and when you return to us in St. Peter's, Missouri. So, as my mom said, today we are going to focus on the four different icons at the Disney World Parks in Orlando, Florida. So, we're going to start off with the biggest icon of the Magic Kingdom, which is Cinderella's Castle. So Cinderella's Castle is the focal point and icon for the Magic Kingdom Park. This castle has become a major icon for Walt Disney World in general, and even Disney as a company around the world. And there aren't many people that have not at least even heard of the castle or probably even seen a picture or a video of it. And so here are some facts and secrets about the beloved Cinderella's Castle. So it is actually 189 feet tall and it is made to look much taller utilizing forced perception. So it looks taller when you are looking at it to help put the height and impressive nature in perspective. Cinderella Castle is actually 100 feet taller than Sleeping Beauty Castle at Disneyland in California. So if you have been to both, that means that you've actually seen the original castle too, but it's nowhere near as tall as the Disney World one. And the Disney World one looks even taller because of the forced perception. Which is why people are so overwhelmed, I think, if they've been to Disneyland first and then came to Disney World. Yeah. Because they're always like, it's so big, the castle's so big. Well, that makes sense if it's 100 feet taller. Yeah, so there's actually a suite within the Walt Disney World castle, and it was originally designed for Walt's family to use, but he passed away before it was completed, and there actually is an amazing suite that was used during the Disney Dreams promotion. The suite was created to match the rest of the splendor of the hotel and every detail was considered in the design. So there's lots of stained glass, there's a beautiful fireplace, and there's a huge view overlooking Main Street. 
Um, so a family each day was selected to get to spend the night in the suite and they got to live a true Cinderella story, but that promotion is no longer in place, but we imagine that guests do still stay there, but it's likely reserved for VIP guests and celebrities that can afford a hefty price tag. So Nick, I'm sorry, but your dreams are over. There is no possibility of you being tapped on the shoulder to stay at the castle because we found out during our research that... They don't do that anymore. So sad. All right. So the moat around the castle contains 3.37 million gallons of water. That's so much. I was going to say, when I was researching this, I was like, holy cow, that is like a ton of water. And when you're looking at it, do you think? It doesn't look like that much. Is it? I bet it's deeper than we think. I think it must be. Like that still seems like a hefty amount of water for what you see at least. It's it's hidden. It's Disney magic. All right. Well, you may be familiar with the Sleeping Beauty Castle as we just talked about, but the drawbridge is able to be raised for Sleeping Beauty's castle and this isn't the case for the Cinderella Castle in Disney World. The drawbridge is stationary and unable to be raised or moved and this is most likely because there are stage performances and they emerge from the back of the castle so i have a feeling there were probably restrictions with cinderella's castle that they didn't have with sleeping beauty maybe i don't know it may have been part of the construction that it wouldn't work because of the force perception maybe the physics were off and they didn't want to risk it maybe so i have no idea um all right and talk about that part so the castle cannot be dismantled in the event of serious weather it has been a long-standing myth and rumor that Cinderella Castle could be dismantled and stored if there were serious weather, like a hurricane about to hit. I can put this to rest by saying that this definitely isn't the case. The castle is a permanent structure that has been built to withstand heavy winds and extreme weather conditions and can actually withstand 110 mile an hour winds. That was a smart call on Disney. I know. I was wondering. I mean, they had to have had somebody come in and that knew about hurricanes that knew there was a possibility that that would happen because... That was a very smart call. But I don't know. I never heard that rumor, Kaylee. I don't know if you did that you I did not take the castle apart. I never heard that. <laughs> I was laughing when I was going over I mean, there. I guess if you look at it, you could see how people might think that. Like, but they're not Legos. It's a real thing. Yeah. <laughs> how funny, though, if it was Legos. Oh, <laughs> that would be awful if it fell apart. Yeah, that would be much to stand on. Okay, so the kiss goodnight is on most evenings that guests and guests can see it on most nights. It's rare that they don't show it. So this is where Roy Disney's dedication speech is heard along with music and lights going off on the castle. And this occurs about 30 minutes after park closing and is a little bit of extra magic as you are making your way around the park. And if you haven't seen it, you should definitely hang back and wait. And you'll likely spend less time waiting in line for transportation if you're standing to watch the show at the castle. It's kind of a nice kick in the butt from Disney to say, okay, now you have to really get out. We're, we're closing. But it was very cool. We got to do this, um, I think it was 2016 Christmas when we were there. And it is pretty cool. I got some amazing pictures. I should throw those up on Facebook because they were super cool. You actually get to go on the stage where the um, characters usually do their show and you can look out over uh, Main Street. And And I got some pretty cool pictures doing that. And 
it just was a neat experience as a family getting to be on the stage. I don't know. It made it even more magical than it already is. Yeah, you're right about that. I really liked that part. Um, so the five mosaics that you see in the archway of the castle help to tell the story of Cinderella. So Dorothea Redmond was the Imagineer that led their creation and design. These were created using over 300,000 pieces of Italian glass. And not only is this glass fused together and it's used, I'm going to restart, it's fused together using real 14 karat gold. Yikes. Crazy. That's so expensive. Can you imagine how much these mosaics cost Disney to create? I mean, no. they spare no expense anyway, but just like on a mosaic that's in the castle that I mean, people see it, but it's not a featured thing that's like, here, look at this. I thought that was really cool, though, because I wondered when we walk through there, I want to really like this t- trip to when we go in the Christmas this year, look at that because I always wondered if it was gold, but now I know for sure it is. So yeah, how cool is that? Oh my gosh. All right. So you can actually get married at Cinderella's castle, which I bet a lot of people knew this, but I mean, it does not come cheap. No, it does not. There are several packages. <clears throat> We've actually reported on them in the past. I believe they start at at least $25,000. And that's only if it's like you, your future husband and the person performing the ceremony, maybe your parents. I don't know, but it's not a lot of people. It's- yeah. I would say easily you could drop like a hundred grand on a wedding here. Well, they said a, a nice uh, wedding for, a, I think it's only guessed a 50 is 150,000 to start or something crazy like that. Oh my gosh. I that's love you, not, Kaylee, but that's not worth my house d- originally didn't cost $150,000. So <laughs> no, that's fine. It's literally a day that's going to be a blur. I don't want that. Okay. So the castle actually does have three different elevators in it. So one elevator takes guests up to Cinderella's royal table on the second floor. Another elevator is a dumbwaiter that is used to move food from kitchen to kitchen. And then the last elevator is smaller and mostly used by cast members only. It goes to the utilidor level as well as up to the Cinderella suite. I did not know that there were that many elevators, nor did I even think about elevators at all. I was going to say, because I think in my mind, it didn't have elevators because it's a castle. Yeah, I think that's kind (laughs) of what I thought. I mean, I guess I had to have, because we've never done Cinderella's Royal Table, so we've not experienced that elevator. So I guess that one makes sense, but I would have never thought of the other one. Also, are there multiple kitchens? That's what it makes it sound like. Because it says there was a dumbwaiter to get food from kitchen to kitchen, and I was like... There's multiple. So maybe the bulk of the food is created down on the main level of the castle, and then they bring it up to the kitchen to serve it to the guests, which would make sense because um, I know we haven't been in it, but our friends, the Hans, have been in it, and several people that we know have been inside there and shown us pictures, and it's like very open. So that would make sense if they had a smaller sized kitchen upstairs. Yeah, too. and it probably makes it feel more like a castle rather than you're in a restaurant that is castle themed, I guess. So it makes sense if it's open and you can't see anywhere that people can go into like a kitchen or you can't hear people yelling orders in a kitchen. True. So that's probably part of it. All right. The technology and lighting in place that projects images and scenes onto the castle is quite impressive. And with this technology, Disney actually has a 16.7 million color palette that it can use to create and project perfect images onto the castle. Were there even that many colors? No, I did. I researched this. This is true. There are that many colors that they've, you know, oh it's my Disney. Gosh. 
They can do anything they want. So yes, they have a color palette of 16.7 million color um, colors. And you can, uh, I went back and looked at some pictures last night when I was researching this and they have a lot of colors. I guess I just never thought about it because it's Disney. It just that's true. And I mean, there's lots of programming that goes into software like that. That's not an easy thing to fit projections to a building like right, that. Right. That's just, oh my gosh, save it for the engineers and I'll enjoy. I'll pay See, for your service. Joey, that's what Joey can do. Oh man. All right. All right. We'll keep him on that. Okay. <laughs> so finally, Cinderella's castle is home to so much more than a prince, than a princess's towers, including the Bippity Boppity Boutique a royal transformation salon for young princes and princesses, and Cinderella's Royal Table, a beloved restaurant serving breakfast, lunch, and dinner with special table-side visits from Disney princesses. So there's a lot that goes on in that castle that a lot of people don't know. And listeners, if you've uh, never heard us talk about the Bippity Boppity Boutique, we were lucky enough to get to go on Christmas morning. Uh, obviously, Kaylee is too old to be visiting the Bippity Boppity Boutique, but because um, they do have an age limit now and I believe it's 12 yeah 12 sounds right 12 or 13 yeah and so um she never did it but we were with our friends the Hans and that was a Christmas present that they got from their grandmother and it is a very very cool experience so if you have a daughter or a son that's young enough I would encourage you to take them because they get their own fairy godmother and they pick nail polish colors and they pick how they want to do their hair and They just make them feel very special, like they are a prince or a princess. All right, we're gonna head on over to Epcot now to the icon, the Orb, which houses the ride Spaceship Earth. Why do we call this place the Spaceship Earth? Which is a question that I often wondered. um, Everyone knows it that it's this huge silver golf ball and that it's the icon of Epcot, but no one seemed to know why it was famous and why it was built. But we do know that it was built in Tampa and then brought over to Orlando. Um, it said, in effect, we made a Tinker Tut toy set that we shipped to the job site um, from Tampa Steel Erecting Company. And just over 30 years ago, Clark and his family led the project to turn a set of blueprints into a building unlike anything that anybody had ever seen in the world. It was to become the centerpiece of Epcot, Walt Disney's experimental prototype community of tomorrow. And originally the plans had called for a spire at the middle of the Epcot Center, which is interesting because I did not know that. Did you? No, I didn't know that. But Disney designers switched to a geodesic sphere and it made um, hundreds of triangles to create this orb that's in the middle of Epcot. Uh, It said it was a radical, challenging design, and it was invented by R. Buckminster Fuller, and he had to figure out how to build this, and he had done it 25 years prior, so they went to him, and I guess he he wasn't on this size scale at at that time, but he had already done it, and so he knew how to do that, and so they contacted this guy. Um, All the steel work that the sphere supports, even the spiral ramp from the ride that's tucked inside of it, got measured, cut, and welded by the neighbors in Tampa in a workshop off of US-41, in case we needed to know that. That's pretty interesting. There were thousands of shop fabrication hours put into it, pardon me, and 100,000 erection hours on Spaceship Earth. And Clark said, I guess what I'd like to say is we survived it. After all the work, another company installed the bright silver triangles that make up the outer skin and um, give the orb its incredible finish that makes it look so spectacular to us and look so amazing in pictures. So today there are 954 triangular panels that cover the golf ball. Um, And that's just one of the incredible things that Epcot has for statistics because there's lots of cool things. Inside the sphere is a ride 
um, and it was planned to carry you through the history of communications. Excuse me. The ride was dreamed up for Disney by, surprise, Ray Bradbury. Now, this is interesting, and uh, Kaylee, I think you'll find this interesting, is it's a nonstop parade of optimism about the future, but Bradbury, I don't know if you remember this, is the author of Fahrenheit 451, which was the nightmare book that your mother had to read in college, and we've talked to you about your dad helping her shovel a paper because the book is so crazy. So that was crazy to me because in Fahrenheit 451, it warns of a nightmare future where homes that have books are going to be burned to the ground because they don't want people to read. They don't want to, them to know to have more knowledge. So the name of the attraction, Spaceship Earth, comes from another brilliant mind, the man who developed the geodesic sphere, which is our Buckminster Fuller, because he wrote a book that reminds us we all live on this same fragile home drifting through the cosmos, a blue ball with resources and a history we all share. So I thought that was pretty cool, and um, he named his book Operating Manual for Spaceship Earth. That so, makes sense. It's just, isn't that crazy, though, that that guy, <laughs> that book. Yeah. That caused me such sorrow in college. Maybe he needed a switch up. <laughs> I have no idea. It but was like, actually, the world is okay. The structure itself weighs 16 million pounds, and it's coated with 11,324 al- aluminum-bonded panels and sleathed inside with a rainproof rubber layer. It would have to be, because when it's raining, yeah. you can ride in there. Um, it says, think of this, 180-foot-tall Buckminster Fuller Sphere as a direct descendant of the Parisphere of the 1939 World's Fair or the Unisphere of the 1964 World's Fair, which were the icons for their own park. It was no mere shell. It houses an eponious ride using the Omnimover system of cars linked together like an endless snake. And that is kind of how you feel when you're in there. Yeah, like, I'm really surprised because I understand the orb is really big, but it always surprises me when we're on it. I just never can picture how it all fits. I understand it's all woven very, like, strategically, and they can't really add anything to that ride like I would prefer them to. Or please change something, Disney, if you hear me. Um, but it just never seems like it fits. Like you're just continually going, but I'm like, I'm in an orb. Where are we going? Right. Well, you go up and then you come down. And when you come down, you're backwards. If you've never ridden inside Spaceship Earth, um, it is pretty slow. And, um, the interesting part is, and I did find this out recently, not when I was doing this research, but it's narrated by Judy Dench. And, um, you may not know who that is, Kaylee. But, I do know that. Who okay. That is. Um, I just thought that was interesting because I don't, now that I listened to the voice over again, I listened on YouTube last night because I'm like, that makes so much sense. It made sense to me because after senior year of high school, we watched uh, Hamlet and no, not Hamlet. We watched Macbeth and she was Lady Macbeth. And so once we wrote it after I watched that, I was like, this is the same lady that was Lady Macbeth. And it was a very weird experience for me, but I looked her up just to make sure it was right. But I heard it and was thinking, I've totally heard this voice in English. So so it takes us through the history of communication and um, it starts at the Sistine Chapel and it goes to the printing press and the telegraph. Uh, one of the most hilarious and uh, interesting things for my kids is it shows what a computer room looked like in the 70s. And that they know that their grandpa was a computer programmer, but their dad is got a different title now, but it's basically the same thing, computer programming nowadays. 
and how different it is and how the computers at that time took up an entire like house where now you can travel with your phone, which is the computer or your laptop, which is a computer. So um, that was really cool for me. I took some pictures and actually got to show those to my dad as like a reminder because I remember him talking about um, I have to know when to change the reel to reels and stuff to get the information. So uh, it totally touches on that while you're on this ride. And when you get off, you've learned a lot. And I don't know if you remember this, Kaylee, but when we went in 2010, you're like, this is my entire Western civilization class in one ride. Yeah, it really was. After taking that class and then sitting through that, I just thought, oh, well, I didn't even need to take this class. I just did it in like 15 minutes. (laughs) So um, it is the first ride that guests see when they enter Epcot. So a lot of times it's very crowded when the park first opens. If you come in the front way, as you know, we've talked about there's a back way, but that's not near the orb. It's uh, near the World Showcase. So... The lines are pretty um, long in the morning. They move pretty quickly, but it can get really bad. And they said a lot of times you're better off coming back in the afternoon to, to ride this ride or have a fast pass, which we have fast passed it recently because at Christmas time, people are coming from all over. I know they come from all over the world any time of the year, but it seems like Christmas has become Disney's travel spot for everybody from every nation. And, and I'm not being crazy. I'm being serious. Kaylee can attest to that yeah I do think just compared to when we went in the fall and even in the summer I still remember just there's like way more of a melting pot going on at Christmas time and it might be because in those countries they don't celebrate Christmas the same way and or not all of them at least and so it's partially a way for them to see a celebration like that but also they don't since they don't have a time to celebrate there they just want to experience here so I don't know. I just think it's neat or interesting how the numbers go up yeah, in other countries. Definitely. We're now going to move on to Hollywood Studios and well, that used to be known as MGM, but it's changed now and they've even recently talked about changing it again. We don't know if that'll happen. We'll have to see. But when the park opened on May 1st, 1989, the Earful Tower was the icon. So if you did the Disney's Backlot Tour before it closed which is now home of the frozen attractions and that's why they removed that to make home for that but it's still there it's just not shown off in any sort of fashion that people would notice it unless you just see it no it's not oh it's not there I don't know if you noticed that last year. Keep reading. You go. No, I'm sad. Okay. It's inspired by the water towers found on Hollywood Studios backlots in the early to mid 1900s. And they were used as safety measures against fires on film sets. The only thing that really separates it from the tower at Walt Disney Studios in Burbank, California, in fact, is the Mickey Mouse ears. And the name is a pun for the Eiffel Tower. In 2001, Mickey's sorcerer's hat was added to Hollywood Studios to celebrate 100 years of magic celebration, and it remained the icon until January 2015 when it was removed. That was a huge controversy. A lot of people... Well, we were upset. We were upset. There were a lot of people upset, but there were a lot of people happy because they said it was supposed to be temporary. It was always supposed to be like this, but the people like us who had gotten used to it and visited for the first time when it was there, it was hard to see it go. It seemed like the norm for us. Um, That it was originally only supposed to be at Hollywood studios for a year. And so people liked it and they kept it. It kind of seems like the birthday cake castle. Yes. Fiasco that happened. And now people are 
talk about it like that. But in 2015, they started using the Earful Tower as the icon again, but in April 2016, the Earful Tower was taken down. Oh my gosh, I did not know this. I feel, I feel betrayed. To begin the building of Toy Story Land and Star Wars Land. Currently, a new icon hasn't been named for the Hollywood Studios, but the Tower of Terror and the Chinese Theater have been used on merchandise that is sold in the parks. So this this park is the one that has gone through the most change with its icon, and even now it doesn't have a solidified An official one. Yeah, and I'm wondering if they haven't solidified it because they're opening Toy Story Land and they're opening Star Wars Land yeah. and they could change it to something like that. I could totally see them changing it to something Star Wars Land related, especially since the new resort or the new hotel is being built, the Star Wars Resort. Very possible. And so I could totally see them being like, hey, this is a Star Wars theme park because it's going to have a lot to do with it. And I was thinking back when I was doing the research was... Uh, I did not see any merchandise with the Chinese theater on there, but I did see the Hollywood Tower of Terror, which is why I was glad I researched it because I was going, I didn't, I just assumed it was the Hollywood Tower of Terror because that's what I've seen in most of the stuff now. But um, they in fact said that that is not the case. They're just using both of them interchangeably because they are big things that go on. Yeah. And I feel, I think the Tower of Terror is probably used more because it, not that the Chinese theater isn't recognizable because it is, but I feel that when you see Tower of Terror, you just think Disney. But when you see the Chinese theater, it's not always what you think. Think Hollywood. And so... Hence Hollywood Studios. Yes. But it's a little bigger also, so it might be harder to fit on merchandise. So the last of the four Disney World Park icons is the Tree of Life at Animal Kingdom. And the tree is 140 feet, 45 feet tall and 50 feet wide. And it's the centerpiece of the animal kingdom. It has 325 carved animals on the surface of the tree in the trunk. And it's topped over with 100,000 translucent green leaves that were placed individually to actually blow with the wind. So if you've never been there, you definitely, that would be a place that you need to go and and take the walk around it. There's a name for the park and for right now. Oh, I think it might be Discovery Island. I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm totally escaping me at this moment. But it is something cool to see. I, would you agree, Kaylee? Yeah, um, I think that's, well, that is the only icon. If you think about it, all the icons, you can get very close to them. Like Magic Kingdom, you can be in them, like that kind of thing. But um, I think this is the only icon that has so much detail on the base of it. You need to get close to it to appreciate right. it for what it actually is. When, when you're waiting in line for It's a Bug's Life, you can see um, some of the animals that are carved into, like, the roots of the tree. But uh, definitely take time to – or make time, I should say, when you're in Animal King to look at it because it is a very cool thing. So they wanted you to know that once upon a time, no vegetation could grow on Discovery Island. There was no trees, no shrubs, no flowers, nothing. Um, it was a barren piece of land. And so one day a tiny ant planted a seed. This is the story, by the way, and made a wish. And he asked for a tree to grow, a tree large enough to provide shelter for the animals. And magically the ant's wish came true and the tree began to grow. It kept growing until there was room beneath its limbs for all of the animals, A for ants to Z to zebras. And as the tree continued to reach for the heavens, the image of all the animals took shelter beneath its shade and appeared on its trunk, root, and branches. And, of course, that is the thoughts of the Imagineer, the Disney Imagineers. 
Um, other ideas that they had for the animal kingdom included a Noah's Ark or a carousel that featured animals on land, sea, and, wa- and sky. Excuse me. And when they were dreaming it up, or they finally settled on the Tree of Life, because they had to think of, and again, smart on Disney's part, Florida hurricanes. They had to consider what would happen and and could it handle a storm. And so they made a geodesic dome structure um, so that it couldn't be scratched. They decided on an oil rig as the base of the skeleton of this tree's trunk. And the original intention was for the base to be Lion King, but Eisner wanted to tie it with the second movie from the recent Disney acquisition, which was... A Bug's Life. Yes, one of my daughter's favorite. Well, the first Disney movie that Kaylee ever saw, the theater listeners. I'm sorry if you've heard that before, but if you are a new listener, you did not know that. She was 18 months old, and she loved that movie. The Platinum DVD of The Lion King has a reference to the Tree of Life, and it adopted the name for Rafiki's Tree. Yeah, so... We hope you have enjoyed learning a little bit about all the Disney World Park icons. We did. I mean, I, I know I had fun it, just in the episode learning different things as you heard me give you false information and realize something, and I'm sad. But in the next couple of weeks, we will focus on Disney icons at Disneyland, California Adventure, Disneyland Paris, and more. If you're interested in being a guest on our show and you have a, or if you have a question, you can text us at 407-674-0414 or you can email us at mousecapadespodcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to book a trip, because you know Nick and I love to go to Disney and we love to help people create their magical trips, or you just want to get a free quote, text us at 407-674-0414 or contact us at travel at mousecapades.net. Remember to check out our friends at waltexpress.com for all things Disney. As always, thanks for listening to the number one podcast that entertains the space between your ears, the Mousecapades podcast. Kaylee, I think it's about that time. Peace and love. Have Have a magical magical day, day, my friends. You've been listening to the all-new Mousecapades podcast. Be our guest. Put our service to the test. If you have questions, comments, or would like to be a guest on the show, please visit our website. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks for listening. And have a magical day.